Second Corinthians chapter five. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17 this morning and also John chapter 14. If you want to take a side trip there. Have you guys ever been misunderstood? Anybody? Oh, all the husbands. No. I stole this next story from Skip Heitzig, who's a pastor at Calvary Chapel, who stole it from Paul Harvey, who apparently read it in a, a paper, newspaper over in uh, South Africa. It's a, a case of misunderstanding. There's a, a, a reverend who was just trying to sell a TV. The poor guy, all he was trying to do was sell a TV. Here's what the article that came out uh, on Monday in the classifieds said. The reverend A.J. Jones has one color TV set for sale. Telephone 626-1313 after 7 p.m. And ask for Mrs. Donnelly, who lives with him. Cheap. (laughs) So Tuesday, this came out. We regret any embarrassment caused to Reverend Jones by a typographical error in yesterday's paper. The ad should have read, The Reverend A.J. Jones has one color TV set for sale. Cheap. Telephone 626-1313 and ask for Mrs. Donnelly, who lives with him after 7 p.m. <laughs> so Wednesday, <laughs> this came out. The Reverend A.J. Jones informs us that he has received several annoying telephone calls because of an incorrect ad in yesterday's paper. It should have read, The Reverend A.J. Jones has one color TV set for sale, cheap. Telephone 626-1313 after 7 p.m. and ask for Mrs. Donnelly, who loves with him. (laughs) Thursday. (laughs) Please take notice that I, the Reverend A.J. Jones, have no color TV set for sale. I have smashed it. Don't call 626-1313 anymore. I have not been carrying on with Mrs. Donnelly. She was, until yesterday, my housekeeper. And finally, Friday, wanted a housekeeper. Please call Reverend A.J. Jones Telephone, 626-1313. The usual housekeeping duties, good pay, love in. you ever been misunderstood? (laughs) Paul could relate. Paul was very misunderstood by the Corinthians. Some of the things that were published about Paul in Corinth were these. He's fickle. You can't trust him. I mean, he says he'll show up, but he doesn't. Some of his detractors were saying things like, well, if he can't tell you the truth about his own itinerary, Surely you will not trust him with your eternal destiny. They were saying things like he's leading people away from the law, the righteous law that is glorious. He's against Moses. They were saying things like, well, he's not impressive. He's certainly not impressive in stature or in in presentation. Saying things like he's not a real apostle. He wasn't one of the 12 that spent three years with Jesus. This all got so bad. He was misunderstood so much. That Paul had to say back in chapter 3, verse 1, you can look there if you want. Verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, 
epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Apparently, his detractors, whom we know by now were the Judaizers. It's been a long summer. Some of you guys know what that was. Some of his detractors carried with them these letters of commendation from every church uh, to every church that they went to. Basically, it said something like, you know, this letter certifies me to teach. Uh, I am authorized from headquarters to teach. Paul says to the church, now listen, he founded this church, the church, church at Corinth. He says to the church that he founded, do we need a, a letter of recommendation to you? I mean, Corinthians, do I need to submit a resume? Let's see. Uh, Paul founded church in Lystra, in Derby, founded church in Antioch, Troas, founded church in Ephesus, Corinth, Berea, Thessalonica. Last job, um, apostle to Ephesus. Reason for leaving. They tried to kill me. Reason for leaving previous positions. They tried to kill me. Reason for leaving Lystra and Derby. I got caught getting stoned to death by the townspeople. That's what Paul's resume would have looked like. And that's what some of these guys wanted. Some of the people in Corinth were like, Paul, will you please come and stand up for yourself? Will you please, yeah, send a letter of recommendation if you need to. Let people know what you're all about. Paul, you need to stick up for yourself. See, bragging and trash talking, that's what they did in Corinth. It was actually the home of the second most popular Olympic Games. They were into bragging and trash talking. So some of the people were like, if you ever want us Corinthians to take you serious, Paul, you better get to commending yourself. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, as we begin our text this morning. He says, verse 12, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you an opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. See, if you've been with us, you're going to learn a lot about Paul and all of the amazing trials that he went through for Jesus' sake. But Paul says here in verse 12, he says, don't misunderstand the intent of this letter. This second letter to you guys is not my resume. It says, I am not applying again for the job of apostle to Corinth. He says, no, but I'm giving you an opportunity. That word opportunity is eforme. It means a base of operations. Paul says, look, I'm not writing this letter to convince you of my calling but I am giving those of you who already believe in my calling, I'm giving you a base of operations, uh, ammunition, if you will, to shut the mouths of those who, in verse 12, he says, who boast in appearance and not in heart. See, this was the problem in Corinth. They were overrun with people who boasted in appearance, but not in the heart. You were with us last week. Paul described himself as a jar made of clay. Just a jar made of dirt. Simple, common, ordinary, easily replaceable, of no particular value, no beauty of its own. But we talked about last week how God tends to carry around his most precious treasure in jars of clay. Look at verse 7. He says that the power may be of God and not 
of us. So that nobody will be confused. God picks the most common things and puts his most glorious treasure in it. Paul carried around, we've talked about it before, this glorious ministry of reconciliation. We're going to see that next time. He carried around this glorious message. He carried around the living Messiah in him. But the problem was all that stuff was inside the jar of clay. And we've, we've seen God broke Paul, broke this jar of clay to let the glory come forth, the glory of Jesus. Over and over again, in city after city, God would break this jar of clay called Paul, and that treasure would come gushing out. And people were getting saved. People were getting saved. They were getting transformed from death into life because Paul was willing to let himself be broken in city after city. Problem was, all the Corinthians could see was Paul just a cracked pot. See, the problem was they boasted in the outward appearance, but not in the heart. Look back uh, with me to uh, chapter 4, verse 16. It says, The outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. See, other preachers came into town, and their outward man, their exterior the exterior of the jar was really fancy. It was really smooth. These guys that would come into Corinth, they were slick. They were polished, had Armani suits, Mercedes chariot, had their Rolex sundial. And when those guys came into town, your first line to them would be, wow, nice suit. Wow, that looks really great. When Paul came into town, you're like, wow, nice new contusion. You look good in black. And blue. See, Paul was misunderstood. And one of the things, one of the things that they were saying about Paul was that he was crazy. Goo-goo. Because look at verse 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. He says, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. Some of the people, maybe most of the people in Corinth were saying of Paul, he is beside himself. As in, he's outside of his own senses. He's carrying on a conversation with himself. Right? Roses are red and violets are blue. I'm schizophrenic and so am I. <laughs> they were calling Paul crazy. Well, what conclusion would you come to about Paul? He gets pummeled with rocks by everyone in the village. He's left for dead. He gets up, brushes himself off, and goes back into that same city. Are you crazy? He's been whipped literally. We know all of this from chapter 11 of this same book. He gets whipped literally to within an inch of his life five times, and he doesn't quit. Paul, are you crazy? He gets beaten with rods three times and he never gets a clue. Are you crazy? He gets shipwrecked. And basically, in the middle of the shipwreck, I see Paul like, bring it on. This is awesome. Are you crazy? Matter of fact, you can turn. I didn't tell you this, but you can turn if you want to Acts chapter 21. There's a scene coming toward the end of his life. Acts chapter 21, um, he's on his way back to Jerusalem where they're going to capture him and then they're going to send him all the way to Rome where he will eventually lose his head. 
In Acts chapter 21, verse 10, it says, And as we stayed many days, this is Luke writing the account uh, as he's traveling with Paul. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Surely some of them, as he left, went, that guy is crazy. I mean, he's crazy. He just had a prophet say, thus says the spirit of the Lord. He's crazy. Have you ever been accused of being a little too fanatical I hope so have you ever heard anything like this like look that Jesus thing is fine but you know just kind of keep him in the box if you could just keep him in the box that would be great you tell your family members that you're saved and you tell them what's going on in your life and they're like okay wait a second you're going to church at a what a YMCA what do you wear there you wear flip flops you wear shorts the guy doing announcements, where's that? They're thinking, but, but please, please tell me you don't raise your hands like those people on TV. Please tell me you don't. Oh, you do. You, you give 10% of your money to that place? Then they, they begin to ask you your address, uh, the address of the church, so they can send an intervention. <laughs> Paul says, for if we are beside ourselves, if we're crazy... It is for God. Paul says, look, if you can call me crazy. If I'm crazy, call me crazy for God. Call me a fanatic for God. Let me ask you something. What are you a fanatic about? What are you fanatical for? Maybe, just maybe, you come to church and some of the people beside you are raising their hands. Cuckoo. Or they're singing really, really loud, passionate. <clears throat> or they're clapping and they've, worse yet, they've got no rhythm. <laughs> Maybe you wish you would, they would be beside themselves so you wouldn't have to be beside them. <laughs> well, let me ask you, what are you crazy for? Some of you are crazy for football. Anybody crazy for football? My wife is. When you're crazy for football, you, you raise your hands there. Na, 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 na. <laughs> you clap your hands there. Right? <laughs> Sometimes you sing really loud. Some of you, when football's on TV, you don't talk to yourselves. You re- yell at the referees. They can't hear you. Or what if, what if all sports fans in the world acted like some of us at church? Right? <laughs> what are you crazy for? If you're passionate about something, you're cra- it says, he says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. 
The old King James there says, it is for your cause. That explains it a little bit better. What he's saying is, look, look, if we're crazy, we're crazy for God. Fine, call us fanatical. He says, on the other hand, if it turns out we're not crazy, then maybe we're on to something. Maybe we can actually teach you something. And y'all, this is exactly how it works. To your family, to your friends, some of you guys are just crazy Christians. You've given up the good life of drinking and partying and waking up with a hangover. (laughs) You know the good life. You've given that up, now you're going to church. You're giving money to Jesus. You are a crazy Christian until the death of a family member or divorce or loneliness. And suddenly you are not so crazy. What's your job? Your job is to just be crazy for God, but to be of sound mind for those who are watching you. In other words, you don't have to add any weirdness. How, as weird as you are, it's just fine. You don't have to add any weirdness. Just the fact that you love God and that you serve him is weird enough to people who are watching. And when they need it, they know who to turn to. Paul says, if it turns out we are, are not crazy, then maybe there is something that we can teach you. So, all right, let's have this conversation with Paul. Paul, let's assume that you are not one taco short of a value meal. Besides, besides craziness, what could possibly explain, Paul, you taking these beatings and loving it? Verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us. One thing motivated Paul. One thing motivated to all this craziness, it was the love that Jesus had for him. Don't misunderstand. He's not saying the love that I have for Christ. If I'm motivated by the love that I have for Christ, I won't be motivated very often, if I'm honest. But if I'm motivated by the love that he has for me, that changes everything. What motivates you? There's a lot of things that can motivate. Money. It's very effective, as long as it lasts. If, if we paid all of the children's workers $100,000, we'd probably have a waiting list. We don't have $100,000, so don't worry about that. On the other hand, guilt, that works for a while. Like if you're thinking, did he just say that I should be working? Like if I would work for 100000 you know, no. Guilt works, but only for a while. Brownie points, you know, like, like if, I, if I do really good stuff, God will like me more. That lasts for a while, but because it's in your own strength, when your own strength dries up, then so does the motivation. It's motivation of fame, like people will know me, they'll like me. None of that stuff, none of it lasts. Most of it works for a while, but none of it lasts. Paul had one motivator. Jesus loved me. He loves me. He showed it by dying for me. Jesus laid down his life for me. That is what compels me. Look at verse 14. For the love of Christ compels me. Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. Paul's talking here about the the principle of substitutionary atonement. For some of you, those are big 50 cent words, but it goes like this. I deserve to die. You deserve 
to die. And Jesus died in our place. He died in my place. And He died in your place and your place and yours. He died, it says, for all. Now, don't be confused. Paul is not talking about universalism here where Jesus died for the whole world and so everybody is saved. No, the Bible does not support that at all. It's not credited to your account unless you are willing to receive him. But Paul says, think this through, follow the logic. He says, look, I deserve to die for my sins. And Jesus stood in for everybody. That includes me. So Jesus stood in for me. So in the eyes of God, I have died already on the cross. Are you following me? If you don't get it, maybe you will at the baptism. Because that's what baptism is. It's a picture of what has already happened in the believer's heart. If you can stay for the baptism, the saints who get baptized will paint this picture for you. The old man is dead. Buried under the water. The old you, Christian, is dead. Now, again, think logically here. If the old me is dead, then I am technically, spiritually, living on borrowed time. Right? You ever have someone who has been saved from some fiery uh, fate? They say, I'm living on borrowed time. Everything from this point forward is not really mine. It's kind of like a, a free gift. I'm living on borrowed time. Or you could say, I'm living on time that has been bought. Bought by Jesus. First Corinthians 6, verses 19 to 20, we saw Paul said, look, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. As a matter of fact, that's what verse 15 says here. 2 Corinthians 5, 15. And he died for all that, what? Those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. You guys, remember the stories where the explorer saves like the native's life and the native, because of the customs of the, the day, the native follows the, the guy around, says, look, I'm your servant. You saved my life. I am at your disposal. The rest of my time here on earth is yours. That's what this verse is saying. See, either Paul, with all of his brushes with death, including the last one where he, they took off his head, either he's crazy or he sees something clearly that you and I forget, which is this. Jesus saved my life. So my life is not my own. Anymore. Paul got it. He says, either I'm crazy or am I seeing it correctly here? Jesus died for me. So, doesn't it make sense that everywhere I go, I should have this conversation in my head? Lord, what do you want me to do now? What do you, what do you want me You want me to stop that? You want me to, to do this? Paul had the conversation that got to the point where he would say, Lord, do you want me to die here? Okay. Over and over again in these verses, Paul, in this section, Paul says, look, we will lay down our lives. We, we die because we know that, that Jesus, he already saved us once. He can certainly raise us from the dead. See, we died, it says, verse 15, that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him. Now, is that convicting to you? It is to me. Are you living for yourself? Is it all about you? Or does 
your life have that conversation that goes like this. Jesus, what do you want me to do here? Jesus, what do you want me to say here? Now, I will tell you, my life is happiest when I have that conversation. When I wake up in the morning and I start that conversation and I have that conversation through the rest of my day. Lord, what do you want? See, my life is happiest when I do that because this verse says that Jesus died to rescue us, died to rescue you from the tyranny of self. Think about this. Isn't the old you what made you miserable in the first place? So, Really, when you think about it, what's crazy is the fact that we keep going back to the tyrant, the old tyrant of self, whom Jesus has freed us from. Romans 6, 6 says, we know this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Do you get it? Jesus has freed us from serving ourselves and the misery that brings do an experiment for me this week if you want for yourself. Find the most miserable people you know. You know who I'm talking about. And notice how much they talk about themselves. Find the people that are really, really miserable and notice how much they talk about themselves. You get this? We don't have to be slaves to that junk. The constantly thinking about ourselves. I listened to, to Pastor Joe Foch on this verse and he said, you know, there are, there are people in prison, literally in prison, that are free and they're completely free from themselves. They're totally joyous. He says, but then there's people that are driving around in Mercedes that are miserable because they are under that tyrant of self. He says, they think so much about themselves, they think you're thinking about them. Like, wow, I got, I got to look right, I got, I got to get everything together because all of those people are watching me. Verse 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. It's important here to remember the context. Remember that the whole context is that the Corinthians were regarding Paul according to the flesh. They were looking at the jar of clay on the outside and going, that's not very impressive. They've been looking at that earthen vessel and they are not seeing much because they are not looking at what is inside the vessel, the treasure inside the vessel. In verse 16, Paul is saying, look, I don't do that anymore. He says, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Paul says, I make it my aim whenever I look at people. I don't look at the obvious. I don't look at at their flesh, at their outside, their outward appearance, all the things that they may or may not try to do to impress other men. says, I used to do that. says, as a matter of fact, I, I did that to Jesus. Look at verse 16 again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. You ever stop to think that Paul was a Pharisee. He called himself a Pharisee among Pharisees in the same time that Jesus was the enemy of the Pharisees. Paul says here, look, I knew Jesus according to the outside. I knew Jesus according to the flesh. He says, as I recall it, Jesus, 
whom I know now, is the Son of God. He became flesh. He was an earthen vessel with untold treasure inside, and all I saw was the outside of the vessel. Think about what Paul thought of Jesus when he met Jesus. He's a rabble rouser. He's from that hick town, Nazareth. He was conceived out of wedlock. He's out to destroy our culture. He's out to attack our God, our laws. He ignores the Sabbath. He calls us Pharisees unrighteous. Kill him. He claims to be God, but he's just an earthen vessel. That's what Paul saw on the outside of Jesus. And it led him to say, along with all of the others, kill him. Paul says, I used to know Jesus according to the flesh, the outside, but I had it all wrong. And Paul says, thankfully, I don't know him that way any longer. Now I know the treasure inside. Now I have a relationship with this man whom I so misunderstood. Now I have treasure inside. See, this next verse, verse 17, we're getting ready to uh, come to the end a little bit. This next verse is so wonderful for so many reasons. Some of you haven't memorized. But we need to see it in context. In context, what Paul is getting at is this. How do you look at your fellow Christians? All of the jars of clay that are lined up right here on this shelf. How do you look at each other? Because verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Do you look at your fellow Christians' outside appearance? You just see that the, the jar of clay? Maybe you even look at their bad habits or their immaturity or their self-righteousness, whatever it may be. Have you ever seen a Christian and you've written them off? Because you don't see what's on the inside, a new creation? Ray Steadman told of a young man that he had written off. Basically, he said to himself, that guy will never amount to much. The guy's too selfish. He's too immature. <laughs> he said, I met him later. Many years later, and I was amazed to see what God had done in that man without any help from me. <laughs> see, either you believe Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, and you believe it for other people, or you don't. See, if you believe that, you should be encouraging other Christians, other jars of clay, not writing them off. Now, Here's a couple applications real quick from this verse. Now, again, this, this isn't necessarily in context, but it is so true. That is this. If you are a Christian, I'm waiting for effect here. God has made you brand new. Again, you're going to get to see a picture of that at baptism. You're going to see a picture of what has already happened in the saint's life, right? They go... And they, the old man is dead and left at the bottom of the pool, right? There's nothing mystical or magical happening in baptism. It's a, it's a symbol. It's one thing that we do in obedience to Christ, but also it shows the world, this is what's happened to me. The old man is dead and the new comes forth. It says we are a brand new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That word behold... You don't see it as often in the epistles, but you saw it a lot in the Gospels. Remember? Behold, an angel of the Lord. Behold this. Behold that. It means, wow, 
Look at that. Paul is saying, look, this is an amazing thing. This has happened in your life. Now, live that way. Maybe you, maybe you walked in today and you thought, you know, I really want to stop this selfish behavior. But I can't. Well, you're right and you're wrong. If you're a Christian, you're right in that you can't by yourself. But listen to me, the best way to be safe from the tyrant of self is to run to the good king. Run to the good king. That's an application for every Christian. You are a new creation and you don't have to act like the old man. But here's one more application. Verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I want you to notice that word anyone. It means whoever. It means absolutely anyone. Matthew 16, 24 Jesus used these words. He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. If anyone. In that same chapter, Jesus said, if any man has ears to hear, let him hear. In Mark 7, Jesus said, if any man has ears to hear, let him hear. In Mark 9, he sat down the 12 and he said, if anyone wants to be first, let him be last. And in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see how important that word anyone is? Maybe you are not a Christian. Maybe you don't know Jesus yet. And you came today, and all of the rest of the stuff I've been saying is a little bit foreign. And maybe you think that you are too bad to come to God. Again, you're right. <laughs> And you're wrong. You are too bad to come to God in your own righteousness. Your own righteousness, all the stuff that you've done is like filthy rags before him. But Jesus made a promise. He said, whoever, anyone, absolutely anyone who comes to me, who surrenders to me, if you will repent, if you will turn your back on your old life, Jesus says, I can make you a brand new creation says, old things will pass away. All of your old sin, your guilt, all the shame. He says, and behold, people will look at you. What in the world happened to you? But you better be ready because they'll probably say, you went got crazy. All things will become new. Do you have that opportunity before you today? 